0: Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. Today, I'm joined uh, by Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. So uh, myself being (laughs) Father Patrick Briscoe, I'm here in Providence, Rhode Island, in my studio cell, it's very mm. very fancy living quarters yeah. and, and very Providence smooth Valley. introduction
1: too that's great thanks father Thank you know, yeah that's
0: why I'm paid the big bucks to do this mm-hmm. uh, r- yeah. rolling in cash <laughs> money uh, we don't have to hey, worry about I,
1: father Patrick being picked up by another program because <laughs> <laughs> he, he fits right here so
0: syndicated on God's planning that's it <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, that man. does have to be one of my smoothest intros um you the know other, one, the other
1: week I was recording a wholly different, uh, uh, there was sort of like this virtual kind of retreat conference for this youth retreat that was, they usually host every year, but it would gone virtual. And uh, I was recording with another friar who was like, I'll take care of the intro. And he just took care of the intro. I'm father of so-and-so. And then just didn't say anything else. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's not an introduction. That wasn't a introduction. Just like, <laughs> like, oh gosh. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> take sick. number two. Yeah.
0: Um, myself being, you know, it's very eloquent. Uh, yeah. Well, we're in full swing in the summer up here in Rhode Island. I have to say, I don't know if, um, I mean, I know Father Jacob Bertrand has because he's from Connecticut, but I don't know if you, dear listener, have traveled much to New England, but New England is incredible in the summertime. June especially is just a beautiful month in Rhode Island. I mean, it's been so nice out. I even thought about going to the beach. Mm, Hmm, us, (laughs) father. (laughs) i I didn't actually don't worry i've lived here for three and a half years and i still haven't been to a beach in Rhode island yet Mm -mm. but but i thought about it you know it was it was really nice starting to sound really great just just to be there hear the waves you know but uh, but in the end i decided not to go outdoors so i just just
1: he just put on his white noise machine and listened to the wave (laughs) settings
0: (laughs) found a youtube video you know like, like a good Dominican friar, I stayed inside and avoided the sun. Amen. Um, so today's episode, Father Jacob Bertrand and I want to talk about um, uh, something that's very near and dear to us. We want to talk about the priesthood. We've talked about the priesthood um, before on the show, so maybe you remember our special one of our special episodes um, for Holy Week um, on the priesthood. It was gorgeous, um, Holy Thursday. Is of course remembered by the church as the institution of the priesthood. We didn't invent the priesthood. It wasn't something that uh, the church came up with and said, "Oh yeah, this sounds great. Um, we'll, we'll go. We'll go with this plan." No, the, the Lord gave us the priesthood. Um, he be, he bequeathed the priesthood, the ministerial priesthood, on the apostles, um, and we believe that their ordination to the priesthood, when they were given this great gift, um, that all of that took place at the Last Supper when Jesus handed on. Um, for the first time his own very self um, and celebrated the Eucharist among them with, with his 12 uh, closest friends. So I, I think that I, I start there with Holy Thursday because I think it's important um, to begin our conversation of the priesthood, remembering that the priesthood is a gift, um, that it's something given by Christ um, something that we receive from him. Um, so Father Jacob Bertrand, why don't you lead us into this, the, the, lead us into our conversation about the priesthood a little bit. Um, share with our listeners why we decided we wanted to talk about it today and um, to think about some of, some of the questions that that are lurking right now behind uh, the Catholic priesthood.
1: Yeah, I think two things, at least from my front, that, um, that have got me thinking more about the priesthood and the church's teachings on the priesthood handed down from our Lord. And the first was, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so, I was talking to a couple friends um, and they were asking some really good questions, um, less about the priesthood or the male priesthood and, and more about sort of the the mediation of the priest. Like basically the question was, why do I need to go to confession to a priest, which is sort of a classic question, but also a good question. So I don't think asking these questions are like, oh, you're a bad Catholic or these sorts. I think they're good questions to ask because so we have to know about the faith. So that was one conversation. The other, um, more, recently we, I was, more recently, I was asked some questions more about the male priesthood in particular. And I think that these, um, and, and what I mean by that is why is the priesthood um, reserved for men? Uh, and I think right now in the tenor of our country, the sort of the, the questions of sort of justice and equality and these sorts of things are kind of bringing these questions to the to the fore, again, in some people's minds. And I think that those are good questions to ask. Um, so at least by way of sort of inspiration, a catalyst, this was something that was on my mind, something that I think that we, um, When, when Father Patrick, myself, others kind of talk to people about the priesthood, or are particularly when we're teaching RCIA or introducing people to the faith, or even people who think that the church is kind of persecutes women or keeps women in a second-class kind of seat or position, all of which I would argue against pretty hardly and pretty hard, and I think there's great evidence to the contrary. Um, But there are good questions to ask, and there are questions that come up. So this is sort of the inspiration, Um, and I think that given given this sort of place where we are in our country, it's a good time to ask these questions. Is this an unjust sort of institution? Um, because it, it reserves, sort of gives men some privileges that it doesn't give women. Um, so that, that's, that's our starting point, I think. And I think that's a fair starting point. It's a good starting point, at least for questions to be asked. Um, but before, you know, as we kind of dive into the question, I think there are some foundational starting points for an answer that we have to, layout at the beginning, right away. Um, and there are two, at least in my mind. Um, Father Patrick may have more, but I have two. And I think there, this, is, um, mm-hmm. this is particularly true for, for Catholics. The first is that um, it's, we can even ask them as questions. You know, the foundational starting point of who is Christ? You know, Father Patrick just told us about Holy Thursday, institution of the priesthood of the Eucharist. Who is Christ? Why does Christ get to dictate to us these sorts of things? Why does what he says Stay. Um, you know why does this have the this sort of final, uh, final line? These sorts of things. Well, firstly, because Christ is God and man, because He's true God and true man, and as believers, right, right. right God has a say in this, uh, in creation, in in meeting out salvation. So this is this is kind of the first idea that Christ is God, and if we believe Christ to be God, then what God does for us has meaning has merit, has worth. The second thing here is what is the church, right? So who's Christ? What is the church? Um, we have to hold, and we do hold, that the church is something that's divinely instituted. Uh, there's a distinction between divine institution, that God creates the church. Remember, St. Paul teaches that the body, the church is the body body of Christ, that the, the church is divinely instituted. It is true at the same time that, that people have a role in governing, organizing, and sort of carrying on the work of the church. But that doesn't change the reality that the church is a divine institution and it's guided, created by God and, and, and perpetuated and carried through by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a sort of conglomeration of people's ideas. It's not just a social organization. So I think these are very important places to start that remember we're talking about, we're talking about God's role in this, in his own life, in the institution of the sacraments, in the institution of the priesthood, um, and also uh, you know, in, the, in the institution of the church. Uh, it was once put to me and I think this is uh, kind of a, a helpful thing that either we believe um, that Christ is God and that the church is divinely instituted or we don't. Right. And if we don't, then none of it really matters. Uh, none of the sacraments matter. None of our life as Christians matter. I mean, either Christ says who he is, is who he says he is, or he's not. Uh, and I think this is um, an important attitude and mentality to have when we're coming towards these questions that my my sort of experiences my desires though they can be good and uh and valid and true and real don't dictate reality you know we don't i don't get to say this is what reality and everything is father patrick doesn't we're invited to sort of participate in the reality of god's creation and god's church
0: the one of the most beautiful documents of the second vatican council um, is, the, is the dogmatic document, uh, De Verbum. And De Verbum opens with making precisely the points that Father Jacob Bertrand is insisting on. That the, again, that the faith is something that's received and that it's handed on to us. L- listen to this beautiful line. This is paragraph number two of Dei Verbum from the Second Vatican Council. In his goodness and wisdom, God chose to reveal himself and to make known to us the hidden purpose of his will by which through Christ, the Word made flesh, man might in the Holy Spirit have access to the Father and come to share in the divine nature. There's the whole plan right there. And that's why these two points of, of who is God and who is the church are so important. There's the whole plan right there. God has desired um, that, that we should know him and that we should come to be with him and that we should share in his own divine nature. And he's giving us the means He's speaking to us um, and as Father Jacob Bertrand um, said so eloquently, he's, he's telling us about his own self and then giving us the mechanism, the way by which we can come to be united um, to him, which is the church. Uh, so right away, there's this important understanding um, that when when one is, one is given a gift, when some things are received, um, they're, they're received according to the terms of the giver and that there are some things about the gift they cannot be changed. So those are themes that we're going to come back to throughout this conversation. Um, so I think where we should turn to now is what is the priest? Um, so so, we, so we've discussed that God is speaking to us and that he desires us to be with him. Um, so what is it? What is it the priest do? Uh, you know, Father Jacob Bertrand, you uh, are a priest. <laughs> and you you, yep. you <laughs> say hi, all the time we introduce ourselves um, as father and we say that, We'd say that i'm a catholic priest um but wh- what does that mean
1: yeah i think the father patrick already laid out and we won't spend too much time at least on sort of the the kind of scriptural origins from the last supper because we did that on that holy thursday episode so if you're interested you know just scroll down um and play that back i guess that's also a kind of a, a shameless plug for you to listen to another episode but also we already did so we're gonna we're gonna keep going, um, but it is important to look at the Last Supper because um, for we can we can look to Scripture at least explicitly or implicitly to see the institution of the sacraments um, given by Christ. Right, so we look for the for the Eucharist and for the institution of the of the priesthood at the Last Supper, um, the election of the twelve. Uh, the the twelve apostles are called together. There's all, there's of course a ton of fulfillment from the Old Testament, from the twelve tribes of Israel, from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant priesthood. Um, all of these sorts of things come together. Uh, the Passover supper from just before the Exodus. Um, all of these things come together in the Last Supper, so that we can, um, so that Christ continues His mediation, His divine offer of grace and salvation. Um, he puts the final puzzles puzzles of that of that final pieces of that puzzle together just before his death to ensure that he does not leave us orphans to ensure us his faithful, um, that that we can be with him. So who and what is the priest? I think it's really important that when we look at what the priesthood is, we're we're, we're looking at who is the priest. That's more important, uh, a better way to say it. And not just with respect to the priesthood, but when we talk about people in general, I think what somebody is, people aren't defined by their functionality. We don't define something simply by what it does. There's a deeper identity, a sort of essence to a person or even a thing. I mean, things do sometimes, you know, a lot of things do exist to perform a particular function, but people certainly don't. Um, So the priest is never defined by functionality. And this is important because um, there are a whole host of people who could do um, at least the sort of external functions of a priest. You know, we could, like children, for example, play mass. You know, I never did this growing up. I don't know if you did, Father Patrick, but, you know, had like, you know, had your... Lots okay, so you pretend to say mass right when you're a little kid. Um, that doesn't just because a child can do that doesn't mean that he's functioning as a priest, and that's kind of a silly example. But, um, the functionality of something doesn't give it its core identity, right? Who the priest is here is that we the priest through and virtue of through the sacrament of holy orders, through the grace that's given in the sacrament is. The, the priest is conformed to the person of Christ such that what, that, what the priest does, um, he does, we would say, in persona Christi, or in the person of Christ. Um, another phrase that we use, another Latin phrase is that a priest is an alter Christus, or another Christ. This is why if you pay attention in the sacraments, the priest says the words of the sacraments in the first person singular, right? this is my body, or I absolve you from your sins, or I baptize you, um, not because it's the priest doing it, but because in exercising that sacramental ministry and exercising that mediation, he's acting as Christ. He is another Christ. Um, I, this, this reality, too, um, is not simply a spiritual one, because human beings are not simply spirits that happen to be Trapped in a flesh cage, human beings are both body and soul, and that symbolism of uh, and and that reality and that and what it symbolizes is something that's important. That the Father um, begot a Son who took on human flesh, um, not accidentally as a man, but intentionally. God doesn't make mistakes in these sorts of things, and then hands on the ministerial priesthood through men um, is extremely important. As the priest stands in person or in the person of Christ. There's this, there's this line from um, an English Dominican on on this that I think is, is kind of insightful. He says that in the church, Christ exercises his priesthood ministerially through human beings who possess human nature and the same human sexual mode in which he possesses it, or in which Christ possesses it. That the priest embodies everything that Christ is, both body and soul when he exercises the priesthood. Um, not not because god wants to exclude but because god chose through his son to grant us salvation
0: i want to pick up on um that distinction you were making about the, the priest is not a mere functionary right um so, in the old covenant, priests would serve for a period of like three years. Wouldn't that be great? You could just say mass for three years and be done. You know? Retired. I want, I want that retirement package. Um, so, so the, so the just priesthood, <laughs> the the priest. Seriously, the priesthood is uh, the <laughs> the priesthood is more than just the, the functional service. Or again, we can, or or again, we could, we could, we could take this more seriously and um, consider things that people point out all the time about priests. Um, we say father so-and-so is not an effective business manager. Like look at the waste, um, of resources in this parish. He's not very good with money. He's not very good at overseeing employees. Okay. That's a, that's a real weakness. And there are people who are particularly trained to have professional skills that are better at that than father so-and-so. And And yet administration in that sense is, is part of the priesthood. Or, um, we can say father so-and-so is a terrible preacher, uh, I love, I, love to, I love to point out to people, um, yes, for 28 years of my life, I was a practicing Catholic and not a priest. So very aware, I am very aware of what it's like to sit through a terrible homily. Um, I started going to mass, um, daily mass regularly when I was in high school. So I've heard very many homilies. Um, but the point is that there are some people that are more effective communicators, and yet it belongs to the priesthood to preach to open the word, um, to to shed light on the mysteries of the sacred scriptures. So even though there are people who have, um, you know, more perfected aspects of these these skills that um, belong to the priesthood, there's a way in which which, um, the priesthood exists um, in a a kind of resilient way, despite the weaknesses of the particular men who have been called to follow Jesus in this way. Um, So the priesthood has to be more than a set of functional skills, because we see so many priests who are serving as priests, and they are good priests despite their own lack of these particular skills, right? Um, so, uh, so I just wanted to pick that up because that's that's a very serious that's a very serious consideration about the priesthood. Um, so, right now, uh, I think we've kind of we've laid out uh, our own our own views of the priesthood. Um, and some of the biblical roots. And when we come back after this break, we want to get into um, really the key objection to how the Catholic Church understands the priesthood um, in that uh, the priesthood in the Catholic Church is, re- is reserved for men. Um, so we're going to pick that topic up when we come back after this uh, short break. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Well, welcome back. Thanks for listening to God'splaining. We've been um, discussing the sort of uh, foundational, fundamental principles of what a priest is. Um, When I was uh, pursuing my own vocation, I studied for a few years for the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend to be at the house as a priest. And in my interview, uh, Bishop Darcy, who has since gone home to God, God bless him. He was a very a very good bishop, a very kind man. Uh, he asked me whether or not I thought um, that a priest existed to help people. And it was a very it was a very interesting conversation because what the bishop's point was, um, he wanted to make it very clear to me that my pursuit of my vocation was going to be different than applying to be a social worker, for example. He wanted it to be known from the very beginning that a priest is a kind of mediator between God and his people. And in fact, that's what Thomas Aquinas says. So when he talks about the priesthood of Jesus in Article 22 of the Tertia Pars of the Summa, uh, Thomas Aquinas tells us that a priest is a mediator between God and his people because he bestows divine things on the people. So he offers to the people graces from God. He lifts up the people's prayers to God. Okay, so it's a kind of two, two-way street of mediation there. And then the third duty of the priest, the third way the priest is a mediator, is that he makes reparation for the people's sins. So rather than considering that the priest is, um, is a kind of functionary or has this special duty to make the world a better place or is um, given over to the broader service of humanity, we see that... That the key to understanding what the priesthood is is that the priest exists as a mediator between God and His people, and that's why everything we've been saying about the nature of God, the communication of divine revelation, and uh, and what God has instituted in the Church—that's why this is all so important to frame this conversation. So let's turn now to let's turn now to the to the big question, um, Father Jacob Bertrand. What can we say as we begin to consider why the Catholic Church? As uh, an exclusively male priesthood.
1: So th- I think you know the reason. The reason why has been kind of we've kind of walked through that a bit, at least with fathers. Just is citing Aquinas. What we talked about just before the break. Um, the objection that always that you know we mentioned at the at the top of the episode that always um, comes up here or can come up here. I shouldn't say always, but you know is is one that is perhaps on the surface. Um, a fair objection or a fair question is the one of, of right of the rights issue don't you know how the equal rights don't don't men and women because they're equal have equal rights to sort of things so to prohibit um, women from participating in the church in a particular way doesn't this sort of relegate them to a kind of like a second class citizen or um, yeah because of the equal dignity between men and women it's you know I guess this is pr- perhaps the more common form and I think not it's kind of a not quite a a fair way or even i think a kind of charitable way to ask the question but you know the the patriarchy or the misogyny of the church is such that it's been ruled by by men for centuries so as to exclude women from the ranks of the hierarchy of the church As, as if this were like as if this were the function of the church to sort of be an institution of oppression to women i think that's a bit farcical and not a real objection you know this is that's more of an objection that kind of attacks people who have given their life to serve Christ in the church. And many, many people who have suffered and died for the church. Uh, so, I, well, let's stay with the, the first half, the sort of rights issue. I think that we have to recognize the reality that no one, man or woman, has a right to be a priest. Nobody. A vocation to any state of life in the church is a call from God. Uh, as Father Patrick was saying towards you know the start of the episode, that these the, a vocation is a gift. It's not something that we have the right to demand of God. It's not something that we have the right to demand of the Church. Um, this is this is not the way in which a vocation works. Um, even here, you know, as vocation director in the office here, one of the things that we're looking for, at least in kind of beginning ways, as best as we can tell, is is you know is when a man expresses a desire or an interest in Dominican life, is the Lord at work here? You know, is there reasonable, are there reasonable sort of signs to say that, yeah, you know, the Lord is working, the Lord is calling this man, not does he want it? I really couldn't care less about that. You know, like he's demanding it. I mean, I guess I'd I'd want him to want it, but that's not the defining uh, factor here. No one has a right to be, to be a priest, whether a man or a woman. There are many, many, many men who are not called to be priests and have no right to demand it of the church. Um, the other thing here, and we talked about functionality, that um, is it, you know, when we're talking about equal rights, is this, you know, our, does the church somehow un- think women less equal, have less dignity than a man, therefore can't exercise the priesthood? Well, if we're establishing human dignity based on function, we're already missing the point we're already selling, we're already objectifying people and trying to define their dignity based on what they're able to do. This is a really dangerous line to take because it's, it's, so, it's problematic, because think, for example, of, um, of life issues, end of life, beginning of life issues. If we define a human being's worth based on what they are or aren't able to do, we get into some really hot water mm. very quickly. Mm. Um, because, because dignity, the, per, the human dignity and human worth is not based on what somebody does. Right. Simply right. not. And there are many, and even this question of sort of holiness and this sort of thing, well, um, is this a path to holiness? Well, it is for the men who are called to it, but it's not an exclusive sort of um, kind of echelon of, you know, you have the, the lay faithful and then somehow the priesthood is is reserved for the holy. There are many, right. many holy saints, right. men and women who are not priests, um, so I think I think on that sort of equal dignity, we have to hold that this is not something we can demand of the church, um, and it's not something that defines human dignity either. I think these are really important things to to, to keep in mind.
0: There's a great quote, and uh, unfortunately, it's a it's it's not a real quote, uh, but but I love it, and I'm not gonna I'm uh, I'm not going to stop myself from saying it. But it's often attributed to uh, St. John Chrysostom. However, like I said, it's, it's not a real quote. Uh, but I do, however, sympathize greatly with the point. Um, and so the phrase is something like, the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and the heads of bishops are the signposts to guide them. <laughs> so <scary>. n- <laughs> so <laughs> not, not a real quote. Um, but, but we should have a sense of fear and trembling when we're considering our vocation and what God is calling us to do. And we have to recognize that um, that in having said yes to the Lord um, in, in our vocation, be it the difficulties that come with marriage, be they the difficulties that come with religious life, be they the difficulties that come um, with the ministerial priesthood, uh, that, that, that we should have a fear and trembling um, to live up to the dignity of that which the Lord is inviting us uh, in, inviting us to, to live in our own lives. So um, the reason I like that quote is because it, it gets to this point that you're making, Father Jacob Bertrand, which is that holiness is not uh, equivalent with office. Right. Throughout the pontificate of John Paul II, um, one of the beautiful things that he would often refer to is he would lo- look back to the Genesis story and he developed that, that glorious theological anthropology um, in his uh, Theology of the Body. To, understand, uh, to better understand the dignity of the human person um, by looking at the nature of man and the nature of woman. right? And just one small detail that I really love about his work is um, this idea that the woman was created from the side of man in uh, the second creation account. Um, the woman was created from the side of man, not from his head as if she would be set over him, not from his feet as if he would be set under his foot, but from his side. Um, where she would be his equal, right? Um, so we, we can, if, uh, and, it, it, and it takes a little bit of work, um, but we can as Christians um, promote uh, a, a true understanding of the scriptures and of our tradition um, that defend the dignity of women and, um, and the role and nobility of women um, without, without, undermining, uh, without undermining our traditions and our scriptures. And I think that's a point that needs to be made. Um, to say that there's not a conflict because I'm a person of faith. That doesn't mean that I think that um, women have to have this or that place in society. There's no conflict. there, um, And in fact, looking back to our traditions, we can find a richer way of reading, reading, of reading them and of ennobling uh, the vocation, um, the vocation uh, that that belongs um, to each man and each woman. Uh, yeah. and I, do, I think that's an important point, And that's, that's one that I wanted to make because we were having this conversation.
1: Yeah, I think another thing here too to consider is the 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 reality that Christ was born in a particular time. Christ became man in a particular time. You know, two thousand plus years ago, um, wouldn't ha- wouldn't he have been affected in by by sort of the cultural norms that you know oppressed women in some way, uh, that that relegated women. You know, whether that's Roman culture, is you know ancient Israel, Israelite or Middle Eastern Near Eastern cultures. Uh, Probably a lot of cultures that I'm just wholly unfamiliar with, and their sort of social strata and that sort of thing. Um, But wasn't Christ sort of influenced? Didn't he? I I guess really, what the question asks is, didn't wasn't Christ obligated to choose men? Um, Yeah, wasn't he just bound? Wasn't
0: wasn't he just bound to the tradition
1: that was? Because women couldn't preach or you know these sorts of things. The the, that's the nice way to ask the question. Again, there's always a sort of. I would say uh, less than charitable way to ask the question of, well, wasn't Christ just a misogynist like the rest? You know, didn't he? You right. know, didn't yeah, he, that's he the implication. A second? Which, which it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, wasn't Christ? You know, he was he was this man that was bound up in sort of the patriarchy and misogyny of the time. So he would do whatever, whatever every other patriarchal and misogynistic man would do at the time and choose men. Um, well, all you have to do is open the scriptures and realize that that argument holds zero water. Uh, the, the, it's simply historically inaccurate that Christ uh, that, that Christ did this. In fact, Christ was constantly criticized throughout the New Testament for his disruption of societal roles. Constantly. This is what got him in trouble, right. in fact, right? right? So we can take uh, very quickly this sort of rundown of lists. So female followers... Who, who held an intimate and many times privileged places. So we can think of his mother. Uh, we can think of Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles, who had the privilege of being the first to um, witness the risen Lord. Uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, who was at the foot of the cross with the other Marys. Mary and Martha, his friends, the brother. The, sorry, the sisters of, of Lazarus. Um, we can think of the woman caught in adultery in John 8, and uh, when you know, what Jewish law would have had her stoned. Um, that seems like breaking societal norms. The washing of uh, the woman washing and anointing his feet in Luke 7. Um, going through that whole dialogue, looked that up in Luke 7. Uh, we can even without women, societal customs, Jewish customs, breaking fasting in Matthew 9, um, that you that his, his disciples would fat would not fast. Uh, breaking the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath over and over, the Samaritan woman at the well in John four. I mean, the list goes on and on. And to think that somehow uh, that that Christ lived in this way um, throughout his entire life, and then somehow at the last moment decided, you know what? No, women, women, mm-mm, no. It, it that just that's not how reality worked. That's not how he worked. That's not how he lived. All the evidence. Uh, points to exactly the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. What the evidence does point to in the, in the positive form is that Christ came to die for our sins and promised not to leave us abandoned and not just to leave us a church, a man-made church, but to leave us a church through which we could access him directly, the body and blood of Christ directly through his ministers that embody and act in the person of Christ. In the most close way to christ that we can get um, without having him physically in front of us Uh, so it's it's not as if there's an exclusion but there's an incredible invitation to divine life and incredible access to the person of christ through specifically holy orders and the sacrament of the eucharist Uh, so i think that's That's really important to point out and affirm the holiest i just want to underscore something you you said at the
0: very beginning there the holiest and most revered disciple of Jesus is the Virgin Mary, who is a woman and who is not a priest. Um, and and I, th- I think that just needs to be repeated, and that there's something of a mystery there, um, and that the priesthood is the priesthood is a different kind of following of uh, following of Jesus, and that it has these it has these particular rules. Um, the nature of God's love is such that he that he prefers diversity, right? Um, For this reason Aquinas thought that uh, each angel was its own species and that there are multitudes of them, you know, uh, many, 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 many more angels than human beings that have ever lived because God delights in their abundance and their difference. Um, I know that seems like a fairly neurologic uh, uh, point of very technical speculative theology, but I think it does. It, it it does hit at the mystery that, that God delights in difference, and that the Lord, in His creative, uh, in His creative zeal, His creative love, um, understands what um, what every person, unique in themselves, brings um, to the following of their vocation, and that the Lord, the Lord does not, ex- the the Lord does not expect um, identity uh, in terms of the following of the gospel the way that we do. Um, you know, in order for something to to be equal, it does not mean that um, those two things have to be identical, and uh, I think that's a very important point um, when we're when we're thinking of the graces that are bestowed and the role that the priesthood has um, in building up the the body of believers.
1: Exactly. Well, what perhaps I think a couple like summary points here that are um, kind of good bookends to what we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Take us out here as we
1: finish up the episode. So I think we can are you, if you want to use that word for the priest male priesthood from two perspectives. Um, and these aren't my own ideas. I'm just kind of repeating stuff that I've been taught. Uh, first is tradition. Remember in the Catholic, the Catholic understanding of, of revelation, the content of revelation is contained or yeah, is contained in, in scripture and tradition, capital T tradition, what, what the apostles did in the church guided by the Holy spirit, right? So tradition, um, Faithfulness to this tradition, and we see this playing out in the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, the, early, the apostolic church, the early church, the church fathers, faithfulness to tradition entails a willingness on our part to discriminate between what is essential and what is contingent. You know, this is why we can say the form of the mass has changed throughout the centuries, because there are some contingent pieces to that, but the essential has always remained. Um, and tradition allows us to do that, to make a distinction between what is essential and what is not essential, contingent. Tradition is lived by each generation in, an, in a unique way. You know, what, it, what the church and the mass looks like, for example, in 2020 is different than even in 1980. You know, it's, it's just how it works. Um, but there, where there's a dynamit, dynamism, there is all the more a continuity There's all the more continuity. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring about new revelation in the course of the post-apostolic church. Uh, While Jesus never said anything about women's ordination, it's true. He didn't say a lot of things about a lot of things. Uh, His actions speak for themselves. We can look through the Old Testament into the New Covenant and the New Testament into the way in which he instituted the sacraments into the way that the apostles who were still... Um, living in the apostolic age, obviously apostles, then handed on and ordained men. Uh, this is important uh, that the tradition speaks for itself. The other thing, the other part here is, is, and we've talked about this, is that image-like character of the priesthood. The priesthood images Christ, the Son, who images the Father. Uh, the priesthood reenacts uh, in a sacramental form the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and is therefore mystically one with the living Christ the bridegroom of the church. This reality and symbolism cannot be disregarded without disregarding the sonship of Christ, ultimately without disregarding Christ himself, who is true God and true man. So I think a couple positive takeaways here, a way to approach the question, if you yourself have difficulty with it or know somebody who has issue with the male priesthood, these sorts of things that remember, always remember that Christ is God and that the church is divinely instituted the church isn't out to get people except to get souls to heaven. All of this is for our salvation. It's for our holiness to assume that God got something wrong here. Assumes that God is not God, but that we are, but God thanks be to thanks be to him uh, did get it right. He continues to get it right. He continues to guide the church, his body for the sake of our salvation. Um, I think even like I said, if there's difficulty here in, in the church's teaching and our Lord's teaching on the priesthood, uh, all the better to start from this perspective, uh, and, and begin to ask the question from this perspective of, of pursuing, you know, our Lord. As we wrap up this episode, I want
0: to end with another photation, another falsely (laughs) attributed quotation. But it's very beautiful. Um, You know, we've been talking throughout this episode about the nature of the priesthood and um, the fact that it belongs to one of the revealed mysteries of God's um, providence uh, that the priesthood would would be reserved um, to men. Um, But I want to leave, I I want to leave our listeners with these beautiful lines about the priesthood that are often attributed to Henry Dominic Lacordaire, even though it doesn't seem that he actually said them. Um, But they do speak to the, the, the depth of the mystery of the priesthood. Um, so, as we as we read these words, um, please pray for the priests that serve you. Please pray for an increase in vocations to the priesthood, perhaps to the Dominican Province of Saint Joseph. They could contact Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, um, Normal candidates only, please. Um, <laughs> please continue to pray for priests um, for vocations to the priesthood and for a flourishing of priestly ministry, um, because good and Holy priests um, will will build up the kingdom and allow allow our world, especially our country right now, um, to access the healing graces and mercies of Jesus. To live in the midst of the world without wishing its pleasures, to be a member of each family yet belonging to none, to share all suffering, to penetrate all secrets, to heal all wounds, to go from men to God and offer him their prayers. To return from God to men to bring pardon and hope. To have a heart of fire for charity. A heart of bronze for chastity. To teach and to pardon, console, and bless always. O God, what a life. And it is yours, O priest of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to God's Planning. Please um, like and share our episodes. Um, Please know that we're praying for you. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.